Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And today we're going to have a little follow-up on the Stephen Sondheim special, Take Me to the World. I'm going to discuss a piece of art literature that I found in What Else? The New York Times this week. And we're just going to have a general discussion of coronavirus tests and life under lockdown. As COVID chronicles. (laughs) Exactly. So tell me what your impression was of the special. Oh, I, I, well, I loved it. It was great. It seemed like all of those pieces must have been pre-recorded and just stitched together, though, right? I can't tell if any of it was live or not. It doesn't really matter. I thought it was live until Neil Patrick Harris's children were part of it, and then they cut back and forth between him and the kids. And yeah. that's when I started to think, well, was this recorded previously? Because how did they know the kids would perform, for one thing? Yeah. Anyhow, I- my favorite piece was Someone in a Tree. That oh, was, I thought you'd love that. I thought Wasn't that was the best one. It was great how they did it with the uh, screen cut into quarters and the way they would look at each other like Brady Bunch style was very sweet. Um, I didn't understand how that works but somebody figured it out how you they knew who was above and who was who was next to the, each other yeah they knew where to look to look at a certain person so it had been thought out carefully and it was done really well and yeah. they were all fantastic but the man who played the older man who was saying I was younger then, yes, yeah. he was so wonderful. Wasn't he was he? so in it and he was so enjoying conversing with his younger self. It was like he'd run yeah. into an old relative he hadn't seen and he, he was just so happy to be there. And then I'd forgotten how that song is so stirring and inspiring. I was part of it. I was, I was a fragment of the day. I'm the part that's underneath. I'm the one that's up above. I'm the one that's here. I can see them, but I can't hear them. I can hear them, but I can't see them. And it was so moving how they were all little parts. And then they got to meet each other and take this great joy in meeting their counterparts. I just loved it. And I appreciated it more in that iteration than I did when we saw the original production. And it was great. I'm so glad you liked it. What What did you think of Ladies Who Lunch? Oh, it was wonderful. They did a great job. (laughs) The only thing is you shouldn't put Audra McDonald (laughs) in a duet or a trio with anyone who's not from the Metropolitan. An opera because oh, she overpowers them. <laughs> Her singing is it's such a different yeah. animal. It was just kind of jarring when she's like, Aren't they a germ? <laughs> <laughs> But it was great. It was great to see how much they all loved Stephen Sondheim. Um, oh, and the little boy, you'd mentioned him, the little boy doing yes, fishing. Yes, wasn't he wonderful? He was fantastic. I was so amazed by his focus. Yeah, he was amazing. <laughs> well, yay, Stephen. <laughs> Back to reality, you had a test. I did. I saw last week online that in Los Angeles, they have testing on demand. Anyone who wants a test can sign up and go get one. So I just thought I would sign up and see if I was one of these non-symptomatic carriers or if I had it or whatever, if I had had it and all of that. So I signed up for Monday morning and I drove out to Woodland Hills. They have like six or seven testing sites all over LA. It was a good thing I was on the early side. It took a long time. There was waiting and a long line of cars, but we just all just waited our turns. And eventually you wind your way to a little station where they ask you if you watch the video online, you know what you're doing, and then you continue on. And then the next little station, they give you a kit in a little baggie and they reach it out to you using one of those mechanical grabber things yeah. like they use at the supermarket. So it all feels very clinical, but everyone there is very nice. It was really good. And <laughs> I was so uber prepared. I had my mask on and I had my rubber gloves on and I had my homemade hand sanitizer in the car and everything. And they gave me my kit 
and I've opened up the baggie and the first thing you're supposed to do is, oh, oh there's a test tube. So you pull that out and put it next to you. And then you pull out a little swab that looks like a little Q-tip kind of thing. And it's it's in its own tiny little baggie. And I could not for the life oh. of me, I couldn't open it. And it started to flip me out. Oh. You know, there's like a hundred cars behind me. And I before I knew it, I was all kind of stirred up and I couldn't open it, but they have people there to help you. And this very nice woman came up. She said, roll your window down an inch. And I said, I can't open the bag. Where is it open? And I pointed where I'm, I said, is it here? And she said, yes. And I said, well, it's not opening. And I got a little flustered, but she saw that I was getting flustered. And she said, take your gloves off. They're making it hard for oh. you to deal oh, with the plastic. Yes. And she was right. I took them off, but I hated taking them off because I was so proud of having them off. <laughs> <laughs> I took them off and sure enough, the thing opened up perfectly. And you take out the little Q-tip and you swab the inside of your mouth, just the way they tell you the sides and the roof and the tongue. And then you put that in a tube and you put that in another Ziploc bag they give you and you're done and on the way out there's a trash can and that's where you deposit your baggie and it's got a label on it with your coding information okay when they give you the bag they check and you tell them your registration number so they know who you are but the sweetest thing was that when i was done and i said okay i'm done and she says i don't want you to leave yet and I said, why? She said, because you're a little wound up and stressed out from opening the bag. And she says, this is a very stressful time. She says, all of us are completely stressed out. She huh. says, and I don't want you driving until you're feeling calm and back to yourself again. And, you know, wow. I didn't even notice huh. that I'd gotten that stirred up. And at first it was a little bit of an affront because I felt kind of a little bit of pride. Like, no, I'm I'm a big sure. boy. I can handle this. I'm not a basket case. I'm not a that problem. That would have been my reaction. Patient. But you know what? She was right. And it was okay. And I ended up, I calmed down and I told her I was good after about four or five minutes. And I drove out and I felt so good that this woman had seen me and just <laughs> noticed. And maybe it would be a good idea if I took care of myself and just gave myself a few minutes to breathe and relax and calm down. So there was an unexpected moment in the experience of just having someone acknowledge, which isn't happening, you know, it's not happening on the federal level, maybe a little on the state and local. People are addressing uh, social distancing and precautions and testing and all this stuff, but people aren't just saying, hey, we're all under a huge amount of stress here. This isn't normal. Yeah. So we're going to respond perhaps in ways that are a little more extreme than we might otherwise. And it, it was just nice to have a real person face-to-face -face kind of say that in a non-dramatic way, just sure. tell the truth so that it was a great experience. I'm so and I'm negative. As of last Monday, I don't have coronavirus. That's great. I have to say your experience was very different from Catherine's because she didn't have to wait at all. She went to right. Cedars. She got in right away in right. her car, of course, and the people were very brusque and she did not get the mouth swab test. She got she the, the up their nasal. Nose. Ooh. Yes, which she said was the most painful thing. That did she have to do it to herself or did they do it to no, her? They did it to her. Okay. And apparently it not only goes way up your nose to your sinus cavity, yeah, yeah. but you have to keep it Blow. there for 15 seconds. Oh, which wow. Catherine said the woman who counted, it was more like a minute. And she said to be sure she, they got a specimen. Yes. And she said afterwards she was tearing so much she couldn't drive that she had to pull over and mm. just wait until her tear ducts were clear because she couldn't control it. Wow. And she is also negative. So okay. that's the good news. Do you feel better knowing that you're, I guess you do. It was reassuring to get the result, but it's just one, it's a snapshot of one day. 
I have been, since Catherine has been here, this is a total change of subject, but I've been watching the first season of The Crown again. Oh. One reviewer I remember said, can be summed up in the words, thank you. <laughs> 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 it's oh, so good though. It's so good to watch it. I think I've watched it twice already. And yeah. it's, it's even better the third time because you really get details that were missing in the first two go-rounds. It's such a luscious show. Mm -hmm. The production value is so incredible. They don't just have people who are indigenous to Africa. They come and visit. They have squads of people. They yeah. have supernumeraries of people. It's just amazing. And she's so good as Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we ever talked about the woman who played the second iteration of Elizabeth, who is such a wonderful actress. and Coleman? Uh, Olivia Coleman? Olivia Coleman, yes. Did we ever talk about that on the show? We but talked about it, whether we recorded talking about it or not, I can't recall. But I, oh, I know we talked about how good she is, and that, because it was such a stretch at first to think of her as playing that part because she seems so much earthier than yes, the yes. queen, but she carries it off. She carries off that almost painfully contained demeanor. That's it's right. Just, you just want to just shake her and go, come on, let it Honey, go. Your grandson's <laughs> going to marry a black woman. <laughs> just get over it. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, really. If you think it's bad now, just wait. Oh. Well, I watched the one you talked about last week. I watched Bad Education and I just Did you loved like it. it? Oh my God, it was brilliant. <laughs> I was only, I was so sad when it was over because I thought it was a series. And I, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, boy, this is a pretty long first episode. And then I'm thinking, boy, they went right to the heart of matter. They didn't mess around. You know, what are they going to follow up with? And then I realized it was a feature. So it was all done. And I felt a little crestfallen, but it was just wonderful. Wasn't he amazing? Both of them, just wonderful. Yeah, Alice and Janney was fantastic. I did want to have a little art talk. Oh, yeah. Do you know who the painter John Singer Sargent is? I know his name, but I don't know that I could refer to any painting he's done. He's an American painter, isn't he? He's an American who grew up in Europe, and he was absolutely prolific. I believe the most painting that he did was at the end of the 20th, wait a minute, I'm getting my centuries confused. Looks like he was a 19th century, early 20th century. Early 20th century, yes. He did portraits. He did a very famous painting called Madam X. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a woman, an actual woman in a velvet gown. It's full body. It was strapless and uh, created such an outrage that uh, I mean, whoever it was, whatever entity it was, insisted that a strap be painted on to oh, magically in, hold in, up the yes. in, Boston, in Boston especially <laughs> really? yeah. and he was gay oh, and wow. had sisters he was very close to mm -hmm. but when he was 60, he was commissioned to do the rotunda. He had a couple of what are called architectural commissions. But right. the one that he did was the rotunda of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Okay. Just recently, there has been a show about a young man that he met whose name was Thomas McKellar, who was African-American. Uh -huh. He met him, he was a bellhop at the hotel that Singer Sargent was staying at. Right. And he was the muse for every every single female and male body of this rotunda. Huh. And there's a showing of it that's online only. But he did sketch after sketch after sketch of him and then incorporated him into the, are you looking at it? Can you see yeah, it? A little, no, I'm just looking a little bit at his bio. 
Singer Sargent is my favorite painter of all uh-huh. time. Just, I love what he does. There's something so penetrating about his portraits. At yeah. the same time, they're not quite photo... Photorealistic? Yes, exactly. And just finding this incredible story about this young man who was probably 40 years his junior, 35, 40 years his junior, and yeah. then she had discovered him and made him the subject of this entire rotunda. That's and incredible. Was, yeah. And I guess no one probably even knew at the time. No one knew. No That's one amazing. Knew. And he did one really beautiful painting of him that was described as somewhat racially insensitive because he's got his hands bound behind. It looks like his hands are behind his back. They, oh. It looks like he's bound and it looks like he's in a, somewhat of a subjugated position. Like he's on the auction block or something. But it's an incredible portrait. This portrait that was so lovingly done of him as himself. Okay. And it's just a wonderful history of both the painter and the man who was his muse. That so sounds great. It makes me want to go to the Museum of Fine Arts. To the Museum of Fine Arts. That's a great place. I've been there a few times. I love that place. They have a lot of singer sergeants. Art yeah. Market. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Hey, there's another article I was remembering that my friend Linda sent me. You might have seen it because it was in New York Times Magazine. Did you read the piece on Val Kilmer? I just saw that it was there. No, tell me about it. I'm dying well, here. I knew this because I'd read something more recently or someone had told me. He was, and apparently still is, a rather devout Christian scientist. He did and not he, know that. And he went to Berkeley Hall School, my alma mater, where I was Get out taught of here. things. No, I didn't know that when it was happening. And he was four or five years behind me. So I didn't know him at Berkeley Hall. But in this story, it's revealed that he had horrible throat cancer and he has been treated for it. And he had to have a radical operation where it's almost impossible for him to speak now, but he can Mm. speak some if he does the right, the certain things, but something with his trachea removed and kind of in bad shape. But oh, and I knew too, because I'd read about him. He's been interested in Mary Baker Eddy and Mark Twain. And he's put together, I guess he's done like a one-man show where it's kind of like Hal Holbrook. He plays Mark Twain, but it's Mark Twain in terms of his interactions in the late 19th century with Mary Baker Eddy. Was there such a meeting? Was there? I don't know that they ever met in person, but she was a celebrity of her day. And so was he. And he was a satirist and she was very satirizable. And Twain has written, I've read a few of them, these hysterically funny mock interviews with Mary Baker Eddy that are really, oh, they're so... If you've been a Christian scientist and you've come out the other end <laughs> and you go back and read these these satires that Twain wrote, they're hysterically funny. They're subtle, but so funny. Like one thing I remember is she said, well, there's absolutely no truth to the idea that man lives in the physical body, she said, with a brush against her chest, which caught <laughs> her pin, and to which she said, ow. <laughs> You know, so it's like, she says, ow, right after she's just claimed that there's no physical body. And it's just so captures in a moment what could be for some, and I don't want to put down the entire religion because for some people it's very anchoring and rooting and meaningful and wonderful. For me, it was a little bit of a schizophrenic enterprise. Anyway, what saddened me a little bit about Kilmer's, about this story, this interview, is that he has not rejected the Kool-Aid yet, and it doesn't look like he ever will. And I don't know, it's his business. It's none of my business. How 
he runs his spiritual yeah. life. So I should just butt out really. But his loyalty to this idea that he was never sick. Oh, and that there is no such thing as cancer. I don't um, understand. He had an operation for right. the, and treatment for the cancer. Yeah, I'm thinking too, the way they described it, they don't go into detail, but I think they said how he was having these symptoms. And I don't think he did anything about the symptoms until it was way late okay. because he was probably thinking, oh, this is just illness and it's not real. And he, he was calling his practitioner and he finally it. did because probably it was like life or death. And he finally had this, this surgery and chemo and all of this stuff. Um, Which would have gone counter to Mary Baker Eddy's. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's always a loophole. You can always say, well, you know, you do the wisest thing under the circumstances. So, I mean, oh. you can do medicine under Christian science, but oh. some people would see that as a bit of a moral failing, I, I believe. And when, I, I'm not clear on when you decided that Christian science was not for Well, you. it was an evolution. I would, it was like coming out of the closet. You, you come out a little bit and then you go back and then you come out a little more and then you go back. What got me over it was I applied for membership at 13th Church Christian Science in New York City on McDougal Street and they turned me down. What? And I think they turned me down. They didn't ask me point blank, but I think they turned me down because I was gay uh -huh. and I was hurt by it. <laughs> and it was odd because I would go to church and there'd be like George Firth is in the church who's like this famous <laughs> gay guy. But I think shortly after that, something clicked and I thought, well, I got I gotta just check out of this. I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but he had treatment for cancer and yet he doesn't believe in cancer. Do I have that right? Pretty much. It's an illusion of the material senses. So it seemed maybe that he had cancer. He had what they call, and they use this term in the article and it's what they will say in Christian science. He had the suggestion of being immortal with cancer, but it's just a hypnotic trance. That's all. It's not, okay. there's no truth to it. It's an extreme form of idealism. So the idea is God's perfect man, God's perfect child never was sick and never had to get better because man is a pure, complete, perfect reflection of God who is all spiritual. So you live on two planes. You have your spiritual, which never has any problems whatsoever. Right. And you have your material, which you accept as a seeming reality only. I'm curious if she started around the beginning of the 20th century when spiritualism was such a big... Very much so. There was a whole literary movement and cultural movement in the centered in New England, where she was, yes. in the last half of the 19th century called Transcendentalism. So everyone was on this same boat to some degree. This idea that ideas are what are real and that what we see and experience through the senses are just approximations of true ideas. And Mary Baker Eddy, I think, would have said, we have another sense called the spiritual sense, where we have a sense of a transcendent reality. I think back to Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women. Her father was in that movement. I mean, she right. grew up in that movement. It, it was a big deal there. Uh, in, she lived in Massachusetts. I've seen the house. I saw oh. the house in Deerfield. I think it's called Deerfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that. I have to put that I on my map. I don't know the right house, that. the story. Uh, I have to double check that one. It was in my dark period. <laughs> <laughs> Your dark Louisa May Alcott period. <laughs> Thoreau and... Ralph Waldo Emerson. Thank they you. all had three names back then. Isn't that funny? John Singer Sargent, oh, Ralph yeah. Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau. Mary huh. Baker Eddy. That was a big deal. Oh, that's I guess. right. Never thought of that before. Anyway, that was really it's interesting because I think of the New England character as being so stoic mm -hmm. and non-emotional, and maybe there's something to that, some overlay there about being stoic because pain oh. is real. And... Yes, I think so. I think it's huh. some of the stiff upper lip mentality, yeah, definitely a certain sternness. And yet, what I'll say on, on its the plus side with Christian Science is 
is, to a large degree, it's very loving. It's all about love and defining God as love itself. There's these beautiful lines in these poems of Mary Baker Eddy's, love alone is life. They're just beautiful. They're uh-huh. so comforting. Uh-huh. So I don't mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but luckily the baby doesn't have a material body, so it wouldn't matter <laughs> if I did. <laughs> Well, I will read that article because now I'm really curious. But she's a really good writer, Taffy Brodesser. Taffy Brodesser Ackner. Ackner, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And she does big pieces. She wrote a piece about Gwyneth Paltrow that was very much requoted and retweeted. She's a very down to earth observer of celebrities. There's one little passage where she's describing his facial bone structure, and it's so, it's so beautifully written. She talks about the labial fold that undercuts the primary jawline, and like she's a very precise yes she's she's really good well you know what i don't have anything else to report so i think that's going to do it for us we're all talked out i'm talked out shall we sign off we shall sign off thank you again boomers for finding us and we will chat with you again in a week see you boomers stay safe bye bye bye